0: Welcome back to Stories from Palestine podcast. This is the first episode of season 2. We finished off season 1 with a special episode about Christmas in Bethlehem, and I hope that you enjoyed that episode and that you had good holidays despite all the restrictions and the lockdowns and the ongoing pandemic. On the last day of December, I passed a very important exam in the tour guiding program with 96 out of 100 points. So that gave us an extra reason to celebrate. And now I will start the final semester of the tour guiding program at the Bethlehem Bible College. And I am very excited to keep learning more and more about Palestine. In the last weeks, I worked hard on new episodes for season two. And every Monday, you will be able to listen to a new episode. You can follow the podcast also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. All the links are in the show notes and on the website storiesfrompalestine.info. This episode, I'm taking you to the Palestine Museum of Natural History in Bethlehem. I went there on a sunny day in January with my children, Louisa and Hadi, and with my friend Shirin and her children, Kayan and Noor. We spoke to the founder, Dr. Mazen Kumsiya, and to his wife, Jessie Chang. She grew up in Taiwan and she met her husband in the United States when they were studying there. Then they moved back to Palestine about 15 years ago. And the museum is only one of the many initiatives they started since they came back here. So come join us for a visit in both sections of the museum and in the museum garden. And the episode finishes with a short interview with the founder, Dr. Mazen Kumsija. And now I hope you will enjoy the visit to the Palestine Museum of Natural History. We are now inside the museum. And there are lots of stuffed animals, animal bones, animal skeletons. When I look here, I can see a lot of different types of scorpions. The black scorpion and the Palestine yellow scorpion, which is, I've been told, the more dangerous scorpion. It wouldn't kill a a human, but it can kill another animal. And if you get bitten by it, it's better to go to the hospital to check and maybe to get some antipoison. Yeah, if you want to see it, Luisa, you have to come to the other side and I can show you. Wow. Do you know what these are? They look, yeah, They look like butterflies, but they are actually grasshoppers. So the grasshoppers, they have wings that they usually hide, and you don't see them. But now that they are dead, they could open the grasshopper, and you can see that they have beautiful colored wings.
1: They look like um, a flower, a little bit.
0: Yeah, because they have such beautiful colors, you see? Wow. Wow. Here's a box full of beetles. We actually get to see these in our garden. Black shiny beetles some of them are really big especially compared to the size we have in uh, northwest europe and what is that do you know what that animal is um, crab exactly that's a crab there's a lot of fossils here as well there are fossils from let me see from the turonian time of palestine do you have any idea when the turonian time was No. Me neither. (laughs) Tyronium, we'll have to look that up. Hadi, this is from the Jurassic time, these fossils. Jurassic time, that's when the dinosaurs lived. Dinosaur. Dinosaur. Yeah, these are from the same time as the dinosaurs. Dinosaur. Dinosaur. Do you guys know why there are no dinosaurs uh, remains in Palestine? Shall I tell you? Because in the time that there were dinosaurs, Palestine was still underwater. This whole land in that time was underwater, so the dinosaurs couldn't even come here. That's why. Adi, do you remember what that animal is, this stuffed animal? Do you remember what, what they told us? Wolf. Uh, it looks like a wolf. Do you remember what this animal is, Louisa? Did you remember what she said? Wolf. It's a hyena. It's a stuffed hyena I, I, Dr. Mazen, come see just came into the museum Well, it's really nice and pleasure to be here, thank you
1: Crystal, how are you guys?
0: We are doing well under the circumstances and we are glad that we finally made it to come with the kids and they are very excited
1: Oh, There's lots of changes we're building new biodiversity center upstairs with molecular labs a new library also upstairs if you want to go check out the library we even have a children's library if you want uh children's books
0: that's fantastic i think my kids are starting to get excited about nature today just today (laughs) it's really a wonderful small museum because it gives a very good overview of all the flora and fauna that is available in palestine and it gives children especially the opportunity to get in touch with nature and to see and learn something about their own environment. And I think for my children, it's the first time that they see certain animals from so close by, even though they are dead. And my daughter just took my phone from me to take pictures because she really wants to take it home and show it also to her grandparents And they are excited because they can now see everything so close up and they can ask questions about it. (laughs) And they are just excited to be together. (laughs) So we went out of the museum now and we are following one of the volunteers with the children. We are with four kids to the new play area. So they've built this play area made of wood And I think there are some recycled elements here. They can climb up a rope on the side and then they can be up. It's almost like a fortress. You see, Hadi, these are empty boxes, I think, of animal food storage or something like that. And they printed on them the different animals that you have in Palestine with the names in English and in Arabic. The eagle owl, the elegant racer baby snake... The Cleopatra caterpillar. The chameleon egg. The Levantine frog egg. Frog egg. Yeah. That's what frog eggs look like. You see? Oh, and this one. Look, guys. This is the Palestine sunbird. This is the national bird of Palestine. Did you know that? It's a nice play area between the olive trees. And they used a couple of old Car tires to create a jumping area and to create a sitting area. Oh, there's a little pond here and it has some fish and frogs. Let's look for the frog, Hadi. Hadi, maybe you should make frog sounds. How? Yeah. <laughs> He's playing hide and seek with us, Hadi. He's hiding and we have to look for him. What's a frog in Arabic, Louisa? Dufta. Maybe the birds came and ate it. (laughs) It's possible, no? (laughs) Yeah. let's feed the fish. As we are going down, we see areas where there are herbs growing and different vegetables and different fruits.
2: It's a community garden. People are invited to come and plant and look after their plot. Now we have, because it's the winter season, we have a lot of fool and peas, some carrots, some cabbages and cauliflowers.
0: How many people would you say are coming to do that? How many plots are there?
2: Well, there are about 30 plots, but not all of them are taken by families. Some of them we take care of as, you know, the museum stuff. But there are about 10 different families and they come more or less regularly. I'm going to ask my
0: friend... Shirin, you live very close by from here, and I just heard that you can actually have a plot of land here and grow stuff and take care of it. Would you do that? Ah,
2: oh, I didn't know that I would.
0: <laughs> right, because your husband knows a lot about
2: agriculture and about growing, and probably you do too, no? No, I didn't catch up so much from him, but the children do. They're planting every day, almost all all seasons, in pots in. uh on windowsills, on uh, green walls, uh, in aquaponic systems, in hydroponic systems. But soil planting is fun for children.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to ask your kids. Kayan, they, I, they just told me that you can have a plot of land here and you can grow your own uh, vegetables. Would you like that? Yes. Yeah. You you love planting things, right? Yes. What would you plant if you had a chance to plant something here? Um, Passiflora Passiflora Wow, that's a nice choice It gives beautiful flowers and fruits Wow, let's go down and see where the fish are We're just really on the different terraces here And on each terrace they planted different things And they have an aquaponic system here And a greenhouse So we're getting now into the greenhouse Oh, it's warm inside Yeah, I can feel that Do you know what this is? No. What does it look like? I I don't I know an Arabic. What is it in Arabic? Malfuf. Malfuf. Cabbage. Yes, cabbage. Oh, do you hear the water? There's water here. My dad then, bistrilho here. Your father worked here. Did he set all this up? All these aquaponic systems. Yes. Wow. So, oh, it doesn't smell nice, Luisa, you don't like the smell? Maybe because there's some um, fish poo. I think that's how it works. I'm going to ask the volunteer to explain us. Here we have an aquaponic system. Can you explain the, this system? Yes.
2: yes, we keep tilapia fish in here and we feed them. And then the water with the fish droppings goes to the beds where there are plants the plants are just in volcanic rocks with water, so they feed off the nutrients. And we have some basil here, and some chard, some tomatoes, some broccoli. Tomatoes. Nice, I can see and smell the basil. And there's tomatoes here. Tomatoes.
0: They're still green, yeah. yeah, But they'll get red at some point. Kijk eens how here. Here there are strawberries. Yummy. Do you know what strawberry is in Arabic? Zawle. Oh, what is this?
2: Do you know? It's a moringa tree. It's also called the magic tree. And if you dry up the leaves and grind them, they are so nutritious. They are full of everything. And they grow really fast and tall. And uh, yeah, these are the seeds and these are the leaves. You can also brew them in teas or use them as a spice. It's a really, really magical tree.
0: Where's my son? Oh, Hadi is still looking at the fish. Hadi, do you see any fish? No? Are they hiding? Don't feel
3: comfortable. You can always put your shoes back on. <laughs> uh, Jessie, can you s- explain us what is it? This is a bare, barefoot path, sensory path. You know, you, when you walk without shoes, it stimulates all your senses and you can feel And we put different materials, for example, small gravels, some plants, and some sand, and pine cones. So you can, children can discover, you know, different things, how different things feel. Just kind of be in the nature, more connect with the nature.
0: Nice. Now, are you going to do it, guys? Oh, yes, I see some of you taking off shoes. All right. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take off my shoes. Well, you need it. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. You can do it with schoenen. You can do it with your shoes. No problem. As you like. Okay. Oh, the first one is a, it's a, a big gravel. It's a little bit painful under the feet. The second one is small stones. That's better. That's easier. A little bit bigger stones. All right. All right. It feels. You, my my daughter's not pleased. Yeah, you can also walk on the grass. Okay, and now we're gonna step on really big rocks. Luisa, it will depend the way you put your foot. <laughs> Try to find the the stones that are a little bit flat. <laughs> okay these are smaller stones that's easier better oh wow i think it's like foot massage (laughs) this is so funny wow but louisa imagine there was a time in which people lived on this world and did not have shoes yet so you wonder (laughs) how they would walk Uh, And hunt for animals and find their food. (laughs) I'm going to cheat a little bit and step on the side. (laughs) I'm going to ask the boys there how they experience this walk. Kian, how is this for you? How do you feel? Uh, out. Does it hurt under your feet? Not too much, but so nice. Oh, you like it. Okay, well, you're a tough guy then. <laughs> okay, this is this looks nice. There is a part of the path here that has... Do you remember what the name of this uh, herb that's laying here? Ah, this is uh, rosemary. Rosemary. Yeah. That feels nice. Better than the stones.
2: <laughs> sure. How did I, you... I like the stones. They were like massaging my feet. And you're doing a lot of earthing. You're kind of like... Uh, Getting out all the negative uh, uh i don't know how that's in english it's not energy it's
0: different than energy okay, you can say negative energy i'm I'm releasing my negative energy into the into the ground I have to focus more so it's more like mindful walking because you really have to look where you put your foot oh these are pines walking over pines well there are people who walk over so i can walk over pines (laughs) i reached to the other end of the uh, barefoot path and i have to say that i feel yeah thank you i feel that my feet are kind of warm and massaged it's it's kind of a nice feeling after you you but now we have to walk back
3: (laughs) you don't have to
0: we can walk back over the grass on the side which actually is something I have missed a lot coming from the Netherlands and always going out on my bare feet in the grass and this is the right season because we just started with the rain and the grass is growing so it's very beautiful and green it's a very nice green garden and there are so many different aspects to it so it's lovely for the children they are really enjoying and connecting really to the nature. And there is not that much nature available for Palestinians in Bethlehem because most of the natural areas have been cut off by the Israeli segregation wall and by the settler roads that Palestinians can't cross. A lot of land is used to build settlements for Jewish-Israeli-only residents. So it is very difficult actually to go out into the nature for Palestinians in Bethlehem. So this lovely place on the slope of a hill between Bethlehem and Beit Sahour turned into the Palestine Natural Museum. It's really an oasis in the city. Uh, before we uh, go to
3: see the owl, we pass by this cage in the area. We used to keep our hyena here before we released the hyena. Where did you find the hyena in the first place? Hyena was brought to us by the Environment Quality Authority. They confiscate from people that holding it and uh, abusing. You know, people afraid of such animals. They kind of abuse them. You know, try to catch them. So uh, EQA uh, got a tip of it and took the hyena and brought to us for uh, rehabilitation. Are there many hyenas in the wild here? Yeah, they're in and, and uh, it's a habitat in Palestine here. So you probably rarely see them, but at nighttime, maybe, in the real, real wilderness yeah. place. And I hope the hyena will release in March of 2020. Hopefully, she's doing well. She's a girl, and uh, we were so attached to it. People uh, gave it the name called Linda, so... Celinda so the hyena is yeah. very famous, but it's free, she's free. Yeah. Okay, now everybody's here. The owl is the largest owl in the world. Eagle owl, to call the eagle owl. It's kept in this greenhouse that are not being used as a greenhouse. But it was used as a rehabilitation for owls or hog and buzzard. We used to have a buzzard and also free. Try to go in silently, without noise, so we do not startle the owl.
0: Okay, so we're going inside now. We have to be quiet. Oh, yes, there she is. Oh, it's a big one. Wow, she's looking at us. She was sleeping, but her eyes opened. She's staring at us. Very big, orange eyes. Yeah, it's a night animal, so she's sleeping during the day not so active then by night they get more active
2: okay let's go
0: that was beautiful
2: did you ever see such a big owl in your life before yeah when we lived in turkey we lived really in the nature and uh, some people came to visit the farm where we're at and they were bird watchers or particular owl watchers and they could make the exact sound of the owl in order to, like, attract them or make them show. And we saw them really there, out, wild and free. This is a
0: fish, uh, thistle. Okay. Thistle. Thistles. Thistles. Yeah, yeah, they used to joke about my name, Crystal, because in, du- in Dutch, thistle is distal, so it rhymes. So <laughs> This is gobezen, yeah. This is edible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would be really nice to go food foraging once and uh, find all kinds of food in the in the nature. Shirin, do you sometimes cook this khobeza? Um,
2: Absolutely, I love it. Yeah, you sauté some onions and then you you know like you uh, cut them and then you add garlic, a little bit of salt, and then yeah, it cooks a little bit and then you can um, eat it with um, with bread. And is it very nutritious? I guess very nutritious, yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess it's full of vitamin C. Most of greens are full of vitamin C and iron and good stuff for us. Jesse, I see there something vertical garden. Can you explain what's that? Vertical garden, we use recycled juice or
3: water bottles that people throw away. Uh, we kept them. We arranged them uh, along the wall and put soil inside. And plant some, uh, herbs or even flowers or any things that won't get too big. And you put them and install this vertical garden on one side of the wall that gets some sun part of the day. And they will keep growing, you know, that you get a green, you decorated the wall with this and it will be colorful or green. It depends on what you grow. Try to reduce the waste that goes to the landfill but the most important mes- lesson we want people to learn is how to not use the water bottle to begin with so to cut down the waste from the source you should always use reusable bottles your drinking bottles and not buying bottled water and not buying bottled juice the naturally the best is to have a fresh juice from fruits and yeah and then tap waters most of the tap water can be drink so
0: yeah Yeah, exactly. If we don't produce waste, we also don't have to deal with it. But this is a very nice way of dealing with these plastic bottles. There are very much, we find them here in Palestine. Lots of people use plastic bottles. So yeah, use your plastic bottles to grow some flowers and herbs around your house.
3: In this pond, there is one or two water turtles. When you are lucky, you can see them surface. But most of the time, you cannot see them. They are hiding in the water bush or near the rock. In the spring and summer, you will hear and you will also see a lot of frogs and you'll hear the singing from the frogs.
0: The water that you are using for this pond, is it from the system or is it the recycled water? Or? In the winter season, this is mostly from
3: rain. But when there is no rain, uh, we have to fill it with the tap water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no natural springs anywhere near around here, right? No, no natural spring in this area, in the Bethlehem, middle of the city here.
0: So from the pond, we are on our way now to our last stop at the um, Natural Museum. And we just passed a field where they have planted some wheat and barley and it's growing well. And it is a very native plant for uh, Palestine, especially for Bethlehem, since Bethlehem also means the house of bread and this is a very fertile area where we know from the even from the biblical stories that wheat and barley was something that grows very well here we're passing by a lemon tree and the lemon tree still is bearing fruits usually they start bearing fruits in the end of november december so now you can pick some lemons and we're on our way to the last part where we can also pick some mandarins Up the stairs to the ethnographic museum. Oh, here we are passing by some aloe vera plants. Aloe vera, very good for skin care, for example. And these days, my children love a drink that we can buy here with pieces of aloe vera in it and pomegranate. Yasmin... The Yasmin always smells so beautiful. We wanted to call our daughter Yasmin, but then half of the village was also already named Yasmin. So then we chose to call her Luisa. And Luisa is also a plant. Um, I think in English, the Luisa is lemongrass or the Melissa. Yellow guys, we're going up. We're going up. Uh,
3: I just put the banana peel at the base of the rose plants. Because banana has good potassium. So rose likes potassium.
0: Oh, okay. I'm going to try that with my uh, rose at home. We have banana peels every day. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Good to know. We have reached the Palestine ethnography garden. So here we are supposed to learn something about ethnography. But Jesse, what is ethnography? Well, study of uh, people. <laughs> the study of people?
3: Palestinian uh, human agricultural expert here.
0: Yeah, the people in relation to the nature and the land. Louisa, we are going to see the relationship of the Palestinian people to their land. Are you excited? Yes. And you? Me too. Great. (laughs) Let's see what they have inside. Oh, wow. We just stepped into the Ethnography Museum, and there are lots and lots of old tools that people used before in agriculture. Let's see. What is this? This is a piece of wood made from a fig tree that was used to spread seeds while plowing. And here is a sickle, a metal shaped like a crescent to harvest the barley and the wheat. Well, we just talked about that, how important that was. And this broom is made of the loofah plant and they bundled it so they could clean their homes with a homemade broom and and old sheep's scissors that they used to cut the sheep wool, a firestone to grind and to use for thinning dough. Here's a circular frame With cow leather with little openings that they used for filtering seeds and hay from small impurities. It's really well done. There's a lot of objects and for each object there is an explanation. So you can see what it is that you're looking at. Piece of textile stuffed with straw to put on the neck of the animal. For plowing to fix the yoke to protect the neck from injuries. And oil lamps. A lot of oil lamps were found in Palestine because they've used for centuries the oil lamps to light up their houses. They are small, made of pottery, and they used to have a small fuse and then add olive oil usually because that's plenty available here. There's a website called Turathna, and it's written T-U-R-A-T-H-N-A. So if you go to that website, you can learn about proverbs that were used... Uh, in relationship to Palestinians in agriculture. And you can learn more about the cultural heritage related to nature, mostly in Arabic, right? Yeah. And here's something I've always seen on people's walls as a decoration, but it's called menkala and it's a tray made of straw and it was used to carry and to cover food And here it says, sometimes also for house decoration. So these days we see them, they are circle-shaped. They have actually many concentric circles in beautiful colors. And they were used to cover and to carry food. I never knew that. I only saw them as decorative. Very nice to know that. And here, oh yeah, this is saj. It's a circular piece of metal that you can put on a stand, then burn a fire underneath, and you use it to make shrakh. It's a kind of very flat bread. It's like a very, very thin sort of pancake. There are some uh, old Palestinian dresses. They are called Thobe. They are long dresses and they have beautiful hand embroidery on it in the typical Bethlehem colors. Lots of red and then blue, green, white, pink, small decorative elements on it. It's, um, yeah, it's a beautiful museum that can teach you so much about the cultural history of palestine related to the nature and to the land and now we're going to finish off the tour in the museum with picking our own mandarins. and my son is already peeling the mandarin hadid are you looking forward to eating this mandarin yeah <laughs> i wonder if it's is it juicy is it still good right Good and sour.. Mm. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try one. So I'm here with Dr. Mazen Kumsiye. I'm very happy that you have a little bit of time because you're a very busy man to sit with me. Can you just introduce yourself? Who is Dr. Mazen Kumsiye?
1: Well, I am a professor at Bethlehem and other universities in the West Bank now. I teach a few courses in various areas from biodiversity to molecular biology to uh, civil resistance or popular resistance. And uh, I graduated from the U.S. I was before working at uh, Duke and Yale universities before I returned to Palestine in 2008. And I uh, founded a number of projects including a molecular and clinical cytogenetics lab and now this uh, institute called Palestine Institute for Biodiversity and Sustainability.
0: And how did you come about to establish this Palestine Natural Museum that I've visited today with my children?
1: Yeah, so the uh, idea is uh, to develop an institute with a Museum of Natural History, a botanical garden, a museum of ethnography and other facilities, that work to uh, sustain human and natural communities. It is very important that we have sustainable human and natural communities, and this is, in my humble opinion, very, very important. And it has to be done not just via a museum where people come and see some things, but via interactions and behaviors that change society, make society more resilient, and make society more in tune with nature, like our ancestors lived in relative harmony with nature, so they, uh, they were able to survive and at the same time protect the environment around them.
0: I've heard that the idea of establishing such a museum runs through the family lines.
1: My uh, uncle, Sana'at Allah, used to take me as a child with him to the field to collect some insects, animals uh, that he studied, and this uh, got me to love nature. And unfortunately, he died in a car accident when he was 27 years old, right after he finished his Ph.D. So I was following in his footsteps also because he taught me to love nature. So, And this also gives us the idea that it's really important to work with children. So if we focus a lot in this museum and working with children. And so thousands of children come to the museum, of course, it was affected by COVID-19 in the past few months, but now it's starting to pick up again. And we have now a new exploration playground and a community garden, so we have more attractions for children and their families to come here.
0: Can you tell us just briefly, why is Palestine such an important place for biodiversity?
1: Well, Palestine historically uh, was formed via geologic transformations that created the Great Rift Valley, of course, and the lowest point on Earth at the Dead Sea, and also high mountains. So there's diversity of topography, but also geography is interesting in that Palestine sits at the junction of connectivity between uh, Eurasia and Africa, And that's why also migratory birds pass through Palestine uh, on annual migrations to Africa. Over 500 million birds pass through our country on annual migrations. So it's like a bottleneck, basically, between continents. So this uh, history uh, of geology and geography and so forth was key to having rich biodiversity. And it's probably the reason why it became also the Fertile Crescent, where humans first developed agriculture, domesticated things like wild wheat and barley and lentils and chickpeas and other things, and developed agriculture as we know it today.
0: Could you tell the listeners just a few examples of very typical flora and fauna in Palestine?
1: Well, we have over 500 uh, species of birds. We have about 4,500 species of plants. We have 110 species of mammals. We have some very interesting mammals, for example, large mammals like the ibex and even leopard that's endangered. We have uh, very small mammals, of course, like shrews and bats and so on. Among the birds, we have very large and important birds that are endangered, like the vultures. But we also have very interesting small birds like the Palestine sunbird, which is the national bird of Palestine. We have plants that are endangered like the orchids and the irises and so forth. I think it's important that people understand the, that we have such a rich biodiversity, such a beautiful country, a mild climate, and yet diverse climate in the sense of like the Jordan Valley and other places. We have deserts, we have forests in the mountains. We have really rich habitats which are uh, hospitable to all sorts of animals and plants, and also humans, of course.
0: Do you have a favorite animal? <laughs>
1: uh, that's a good question. No, I mean, uh, aside from human, I suppose, uh, which are harmful sometimes, bats, of course, are my uh, species of choice for studies. Uh, I've done a lot of research on bats and gerbils.
0: Gerbils, for people who are not native speakers, like me, what are gerbils?
1: Gerbils are rodents that are found throughout Eurasia and Africa, and they are uh, species that are highly adapted. They're like mice, except much cuter and much nicer, bigger eyes and and nicer fluffy fur and good uh, long tails.
0: Do they live here, around here, or more in the desert?
1: They live everywhere, and uh, of course there's more species in the desert uh, that are highly adapted to desert uh, climate, for example. They don't drink much water. Their urine is highly concentrated, almost crystals uh, to conserve water and so on. So they have uh, unique adaptations to desert life.
0: What is it in your work that you like most? What gives you most energy?
1: Uh, what gives you most energy is working with young people, children and university students. We don't really teach them. We create an environment where they learn. Uh, naturally, humans are inquisitive and they want to learn new things. So we create an environment, in many ways, like creating the environment for these plants behind me to grow by having good soil and uh, water and sunlight and so forth. You create an environment for humans to grow. And and for me, seeing humans grow is just as pleasant as seeing uh, plants grow, of course, and uh, produce. And uh, you can see their fruits if you want.
0: (laughs) What would you say are the obstacles or the challenges when it comes to biodiversity especially in Palestine under the current political situation?
1: Challenges are many of course we have the global challenges that face us as you know climate change is the biggest uh, threat to biodiversity on earth now and climate change is induced by human activities like using fossil fuels etc. Something more local is uh, the colonization occupation of Palestine when Israel was founded uh, in 1948. And even before that, the Zionist movement has engaged in large-scale destruction of our environment for political purposes. For example, diversion of the waters of the Jordan Valley by a canal from Lake Tiberias to the western areas. Also, like the draining of the wetlands of the Hula, Also, when they demolished 500 Palestinian villages and towns uh, and ethnically cleansed Palestine, they uprooted all the trees around those villages and they planted European pine trees, a monoculture which is harmful to the environment. And these are just three examples of the mega projects. There is also like smaller scale things like the colonial settlements here, whether industrial or residential, that damage the Palestinian environment and the way of life that has been practiced for thousands of years in relative harmony with nature. There's always a challenge with colonial uh, systems, with the environment and the local people, and that is uh, what we face. And, you know, and there are, of course, other challenges uh, that are typical for environmental protection, like uh, consumerism and capitalism and the way people uh, use plastics and other things. Is, uh, all of these things are areas we work on, of course, in this Institute for Biodiversity and Sustainability. And we just started a new group called Palestine Action for the Planet, a network of people who are interested in these things.
0: Yeah, you already get your next call. You're a very busy man, but I really appreciate that you took the time to tell us a little bit more about the Palestine and Natural Museum of History. And I would advise anybody who has a chance to come here to visit, to learn, and to just really enjoy the flora and fauna of Palestine here. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would like to express my gratitude to everyone who made a donation to the podcast. Especially this Christmas, you have been very kind and generous. It has been a tough year without income because tourism completely came to a hold. So any support for the podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to buy me a coffee or, in local context, a falafel sandwich, you can do that on the Kofi platform. The link is in the show notes and on the website. And if you enjoy the podcast, please take some time to leave a review on Facebook, Instagram, on YouTube, or on podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts and Podchaser that have a review option. And it's always nice to hear from listeners. So really, don't hesitate to reach out to me. And you can always help the podcast growing by telling about Stories from Palestine podcast to your friends, family, colleagues, neighbors, anybody who would be interested in learning more about Palestine. And I hope that you will listen again next week.